0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we're here. We're smiling. We're perky as hell. We're about to... I
1: I don't know what we're doing. (laughs) Why did I just say my name so weird? I'm Danielle Henderson.
0: (laughs) Oh, I just thought you (laughs) were trying something new. Trying trying out a new look.
1: Oh, I wasn't. Girl, feel free to call me out on that shit because I was not... (laughs) I was having a a panic attack. I don't know what was going on there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, you do enough of these, like, intros that you're like, how do I change it up today? How do I, can I just be like a completely different person with a completely different voice? Why not try an accent, you know?
1: Let's try everything. Let's try to get, let's get offensive. Let's get rude. (laughs) Let's use our names to start some shit. (laughs) Well, I'm psyched. Like, we have a guest today that I'm excited about, and so we don't want to take up too much time up top with our dumb lives. <laughs> yes, we have a mailbag. I'll speak for myself there. Your life is always fascinating. I'm just like, gophers and squirrels. No. But we do have a mailbag, and we have a great mailbag question. I think a question that's so good that we wanted to bring in some backup. We wanted to bring in—actually, I feel like we brought in someone so that we could be the backup. Like, we brought in a pro.
0: Yeah, we always try to bring in a pro to answer some of these pressing questions you guys are lobbing over at us. So, I think we did good this time. We got a good person.
1: Oh, we are unbelievably excited. This is our friend. This is someone that is just such a delight and a bright light on this planet. Our guest today is the co-host of the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast, a beauty entrepreneur, a licensed esthetician, and a fashion enthusiast. Please welcome Elizabeth Taylor. Woo! Oh, hey
2: guys. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: We are so excited to have you here. Our exactly right sister...
2: (laughs) Yeah. You guys asked me how I wanted to be introduced and I thought that sounded great. And now I'm listening back. I'm like, that is such cheesy bullshit. But it kind of just explains like what I have,
0: why I have any place on this podcast whatsoever. (laughs) No, everybody hates writing a bio for themselves. You know what I mean? It's hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And trust me, we listen to your show and you are all of that and so much more. So like the fact that you were even able to pare it down is fantastic to me. Oh, you guys are the
2: sweetest.
1: You are just an an astonishing woman. Oh, thank (laughs) you. You have done an astonishing (laughs) amount of things. So shout them from the rooftops.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we are big, big fans here. We have a listener who wrote in. Yes, love it. You're the perfect person to answer this question. So here it is. Hi, Danielle and Millie. Love the podcast. Thank you for giving us such good info and so many good laughs. So I think my question is fashion related, if you don't mind. I think how they hesitated, like, I don't know if you guys like fashion, but I'm just going to tell you it's a fashion question.
1: That's a true listener. They listen to the joggers versus sweatpants episode, clearly. Yeah.
0: So they write, I had a weird thought as I was watching Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead for your Looks Like a Pump, Feels Like a Sneaker episode, which was hilarious, by the way. I feel like a lot of the Christina Applegate looks in that movie are sort of modern again. I know you guys were talking about her office outfits a lot in the episode, but I know I've seen a black halter top with belted oversized jeans on at least one Instagram influencer account lately. And I've definitely seen guys with the Keith Coogan long hair and ripped jeans look again. So I guess I'm wondering... What do you ladies think the next thing will be? Should we be combing through Katie Holmes movies to see what will be at H&M soon? Are we going back to short skirts and tight shirts a la Regina George from Mean Girls? Do I start over-plucking my eyebrows now? (laughs) Who decides this? I'm scared. (laughs) Thank you for reading my email and any advice you can spare, Bethany. (laughs)
1: Oh, truly wonderful question.
2: (laughs) I loved, I love, love, love this question. This was great. And I was so honored that you guys would ask me. I was like,
1: me of all people? Yes. Well, like we said, you have such a wide and varied (laughs) experience. So of course you, of course.
2: Yeah. Well, so I loved this question because especially with, you know, social media, with Instagram, I think that like we just see so much fashion and so much style these days. And I think it's fantastic. As to what the listener was kind of asking, I have a very (laughs) sort of like nerdy answer to this. And it goes back. Yeah, it starts historically, people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So like if we want to think about fashion, I think the best way to really think about fashion, especially fashion through the ages, is through silhouettes. I got you thinking, Danielle. I
1: love this answer already. <laughs> I'm abs- I love it.
2: So if we think about like the modernity of fashion, right? And we're going to go back to Paul Poiret at the turn of the century. And so Paul Poiret was kind of like the first fashion designer. He was from like, I just literally Wikipedia'd this so that I wasn't lying. From, you know.
1: <laughs> Same. Welcome to RMO, MO, how we do our research.
2: <laughs> yes. So from like the end of the 1800s to like the mid 1900s, like to the beginning of the 1920s or something, Paul Poiret was it. He was kind of like the first fashion designer as we know it. And he was the person that they say he freed women from the corset. And so he really created, quote unquote, the first silhouette in that it was everything was baggy. This was the first time that women didn't have to wear the corset. That would be sort of the undergarments that would create these like ridiculous silhouettes that we know from,
1: you know, pre-modern times. Oh, my gosh. With like that tiny waist and the big butt. Yes, exactly.
2: (laughs) The big bustle butt or like the wide, wide hips. Exactly. So, from Paul Poiret up even if you think about like Coco Chanel and like the flappers everything was very loose it was like this freeing of the corset everything was super loose everything was super boxy When we think of fashion in modernity, the turn of modern fashion was really with uh, Christian Dior. He created the new modern silhouette, which was the cinched waist, the kind of bigger shoulders, and the kind of like peplum skirt, if we will. Yeah. And so from there, you can kind of see after that, like everything speeds up a little bit faster, like kind of more decade to decade. You can kind of see each silhouette changing. So I guess to say, to bring it like all the way to modern times In terms of this question, if we think of the 80s, the 80s was very like big shoulders, sort of like boxy, very like career woman. Mm -hmm. And then the nineties, we can even look at this kind of like poil poire to Christian Dior everything was freed again, right? It was very baggy. It was very loose. It was the opposite of the
1: 80s. Girl, you don't have to tell me twice. I lived it. I was there. Right? It's our decade. Y'all were like, free the boobies. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm like, no bra, extra, extra, extra large shirt. Exactly. When I technically wear a small or medium, like, cover it up. Yes.
2: So I guess to answer the question is the way that I always look at fashion is – person to person, I think, think what silhouette you want to wear. Think what silhouette looks best with your body type. Yes. And from there, you can play with fucking anything. You don't have to be confined to what's in right now, what's trendy. You can always play around with the different fashion trends, but know what looks good on you. So you're not going pencil thin and Regina George. You're going to like whatever works within your body type and just pulling things from here, from different ages, from different times, whatever that makes you feel good.
1: This is like, I know that this is that we're answering Bethany's question, but this is revolutionary advice for me. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Like revolution as I sit here in a hoodie, which I wear every day and a head wrap every day.
2: That's your silhouette, though. That's your silhouette that works you know? It
1: kind of is. Yeah. I love
2: this. And it makes you feel comfortable. Yeah. And then even if you take that, like your head wrap, if you want to dress it up, dress it down, that's still your yes. silhouette, you know? yeah, And you can still kind of like feel like yourself, but change
1: it up a little bit. You are just, you're casually changing lives out here. Because I think that is <laughs> like the thing about Bethany's question that gets me is I love that notion of like, who decides this? Like, should we be scared that, low-rise jeans are coming back like right. who decides because <laughs> <laughs> that is the most terrifying thought to me yeah. in yeah. modern times I will not go back to thin eyebrows and low-rise jeans
2: the answer is low-rise jeans look good on nobody besides Britney Spears because we all eat carbs thank you nobody's yeah. belly is that flat Uh nobody's
0: <laughs> well and also too like to me it's I think it's just sort of interesting when you just simply live a long time and you're like Mm -hmm. seeing things from like the past come back. And I think that that's kind of like, what's interesting for me now that I'm in my, you know, whatever mid forties or early forties, whatever you want to call it. And being like, okay, so now I've seen like the eighties revival happen. The early nineties revival happen. Now we're sort of in this like space where like Maybe we're, like, moving towards the late 90s, and then that's when you start, like, thinking about the low-rise jeans and the Britney Spears and everything else. Oh, totally. I just remember being, like, in my 20s when that happened and going, like, oh, I couldn't even do that then. Like, even when it was happening, I was like, no. Like, can't do that Not my silhouette.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I tried on one pair of low-rise jeans in a store, low-rise Levi's. I was like, I can try it. I worked in a mall, Yeah, tried them on. Bent over and my ass literally fell out. And I was like, these are not for me.
2: I mean, everybody's ass fell out, but we kept doing it anyway. Why? Right?
1: I've been wearing those high-waisted mom jeans. They didn't come back in style for me because I never left them.
2: Do you know what? (laughs) You're absolutely right. And this is something that I'm learning about my silhouette. And it's taken me to 35 to realize that is exactly what you're saying. Bitch, you have what they call, quote unquote, a pear shape. I got big old titties. I got big old hips. I got a little waist. I need a high-waisted jean to cinch it in. Thank you. Yeah. Why was I trying to go low-rise? That did <laughs> nothing for me. It did nothing for me ever, ever.
1: This is so great, and I think Bethany is has no reason to be scared for that exact reason because I also am part of this, like you know, this modern culture where when you see things coming back, there is a little bit of anxiety, not just about what's coming back, but who is wearing this. Yeah. Because if it's somebody younger than me, I'm just like, oh. I don't need to try it. I'm fine. Yeah. If it's someone who's around my age, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. Is this how we dress up now?
2: <laughs> it's true. No, it's 100% true. I'm just watching Succession, looking at Shiv's clothes. Like, Ugh. can I... Can I get this? Can I get this beautiful tailored look that is for a middle-aged woman?
1: Yeah. Or for four? That stylist knows exactly what they're doing. They know
2: just what they're doing. Can I get that cream cashmere sweater that I have no business wearing because a bitch will ruin it in five minutes?
1: Yeah. Exactly. How much mustard do you want on that sweater in three minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Let's take bets. But the silhouette works. (laughs) But the silhouette works. But the silhouette works. And you have to know how to dress your body and your face. I think that that's something that, that you talk about as well. It's like you know I'm not a makeup wearing person, so for me it's just about keeping it clean and you know feeling okay. And if that's what you like, then do that. If you don't want to tweeze your eyebrows, don't because they are not growing back the same.
2: No, they're not. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, Danielle, because I almost missed out on the most important part, which is why I'm here today. (laughs) Girls, don't touch your eyebrows. Oh, thank you. No matter what they say, leave them alone. In 10 years, you will be so happy. You will be so, so happy. And if you can't leave them alone, you got to pay to play. (laughs) 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 You got to pay to play. Don't, like, this is coming from somebody who spent the first, like, 20 years of her life, just struggling, just struggling, looking like a fool. And so one of my dear friends sat me down and said, I love you too much to allow you to keep going through life this way. I'm going to help you grow your eyebrows in. (laughs) All right. I'm going to say this last thing. I couldn't believe that I heard a man say this the other day. And not that it matters what a man thinks, but the fact that a man noticed it is really where I'm coming at. I heard a man saying, you know, oh, I saw this girl. She was so beautiful. And he goes, nice eyebrows, right? And he goes, oh, really nice eyebrows. Have you ever heard a man say nice eyebrows before in your life? Never.
1: Never. But they know. (laughs) They they know. Well, because they're out there watching the TikToks where people have the stencils and the spray paint and all that stuff, too. Yes,
2: you're right. But here's I think that a nice eyebrow is just two eyebrows that are the same shape.
1: Yeah. Oh my! Again, changing lives.
2: I think it's just two eyebrows that look the same, and they're not tweezed out of their minds. I think that that's what that gentleman meant by nice
1: eyebrows. Is just like, oh my gosh, they look the same, but not squeezed <laughs> to death. <laughs> I mean, that does make me worry about who he has been seeing out in these streets. <laughs> but that is true. I see them. I fix them. I fix all I fix all the
2: eyebrows. You do. And I mean that with like the great I'm laughing right now, but the reason that I say that is because unfortunately, you know, when we think I, I said said this on my podcast before, but when you think of a witch, right? Historically, quote unquote, or in fiction, right. we think of a woman with a very, very slender face and very thin, high-arched eyebrows. And why? Because, unfortunately, we're all going to end up looking like that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is so messed up. I
2: I joke. Also, I jest. But as we age as women, we lose fat. Naturally, we lose fat in our faces, and we lose our eyebrow hairs. So they end up being very, very thin. And so that's why I always say, girls, hold on to your eyebrows, because you're going to lose them one way or another, Hold Mm. on to them for as long as possible. Because when you think of a baby, you think of round, chubby cheeks and full eyebrows. And long lashes and just like, you know. And long lashes. And granted, I have I don't have kids, but I got kids in my life now. My sister has babies and they don't really have eyebrows when they're first born.
1: But around (laughs) age, like. (laughs) You're like, look, let me tell you something. The babies are straight freaks when they're born. (laughs)
2: Age like two or three, let's think, or like, or maybe even five, five will say is like a good youthful age that we can all look back and be like, yeah, girl, that's what you used to look like at five. Yeah. We were all for the most part had chubby little cheeks and we had big, full eyebrows. And that's why when we think of a youthful face, we think of, you know, these chub, like the new face or what have you is now kind of adding fat to our face in different places and these full, full brows. And so I'm like, girls, yeah eat everything that you want to eat, get all the good fats and leave your eyebrows alone because we're going to need it by the time we're 70. We need it
1: all. Your face is going to make that decision for you, essentially.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Essentially, (laughs)
1: yes. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Yeah. But and also if you do want to play with with like tweezing off all your eyebrows or something and this is something unfortunately makeup artists don't tell you is like they use makeup. Right. They'll cover up the brow with concealer or with foundation and then draw on a super thin brow. And guess what? You yeah. get to keep your eyebrow hairs. You get to keep them. (gasps) Your eyebrow hairs. How old am I? You get to keep your eyebrows. Oh
1: my. (laughs) (laughs) Use makeup as a trick to affect the looks you want. I love that. Keep it natural to what your face is. I love that. Don't succumb to the pressure of what you think you should be wearing or what seems modern. Just wear what fits your silhouette. This is life changing advice. (laughs) Yes. Bethany. I'm so grateful you wrote in because now I might look a little bit better. <laughs> and I know it's overwhelming too, to see like
0: certain looks like on Instagram and especially on TV and in movies. Cause you're like, it's, you're getting it in spades, right? You're getting the same kind of like really on trend thing, mm-hmm. but I don't know how old you are, Bethany, but after a certain time, you're like, yeah, that's not for me. That's for the young gals. I can't do a Regina George like super tiny skirt and a a blonde look. I just can't do it. So
2: and you know what? Every time I stray from my silhouette, I beat myself up. I'm like, girl, yeah. yes, you know this. Thirty five. You can't wear backless shit. You know this. <laughs> Why did you buy that? <laughs> you no. Know? Oh yeah. Like I know this about myself, and every time I break the rules, I'm sorely disappointed yes. and nothing gets returned once
1: it's here let's keep it real I have yeah <laughs> oh, yeah it'll be in a pile a donate pile eventually yeah. exactly you just got to give it away exactly it my
0: pocket. closet is like a graveyard of shit that I thought I could pull off and then never could <laughs> never like, tags on and I'm like should I sign up for Poshmark or something and sell it I'm like no I'm too lazy for that shit too so
1: <laughs> so just stay within your silhouette so you don't have that part of your closet anymore
2: <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> that part is so depressing because you keep trying it on, hoping that one day yes. it'll just magically work. And you're like, and it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't no. it doesn't work. You know better.
1: I am so grateful for this. The only movie look that I'm excited for it to come back, if it does, is the Don't Tell Mom The Babysitter's Dead Harlequin Chic at the end, where they had the diner <laughs> with the diamonds. That I will succumb to whenever yes. it becomes popular, but otherwise. Elizabeth, we cannot thank you enough
0: oh, thank for you. coming
1: on this show, for answering Bethany's question, and truly answering ours. Answering the questions we didn't even know we had. <laughs>
2: yes, we really appreciate it. You are a gem. I love to talk. I'll talk about anything. <laughs> Clothes, it's a dream come true. <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me. We'll come back. Please come back. Please come back. Anytime. 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 And you guys are going to come on. You, I'm telling you, you're going to come on to my show. I would love if you would come on my show soon. <laughs> Look at my head. I'm like, sh- <laughs> yes, it's going to fall yes. off.
0: I'm nodding so hard.
2: <laughs> okay, <great>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. You guys are a dream. Thank you, Elizabeth.
0: Thank oh, you. Best.
2: Absolutely.
0: Okay. So... We got a bit of a theme this week. Only this week?
1: (laughs) I love how you said that, like, this week is special.
0: (laughs) We got a bit of a theme. Well, you know, just making it dramatic for people so that they, you know, get excited.
1: I appreciate the vocal stylings happening in this episode this week. (laughs) Um, Our theme this week is an oldie but a goodie. It's a banger. It is perfect for the next month of you wrapping presents and hanging out with your family as you're driving to Ohio or wherever you're headed. You can listen to this episode with your whole family. Actually don't. Actually don't. (laughs) Anyway, our theme this week is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Millie, what is that theme all about?
0: Well, I think we all know it by this point. In fact, pretty much everybody got the theme right (laughs) who wrote in. (laughs) they pretty much guessed it because we've done this before. This is a recurring theme. The last time we did this, we chose a movie called Footloose from 1984. and We paired it with a remake. So guess what? We're doing it again. It is a theme that's based on watching an original film and the remake. Right? Yes. And, I gotta say, part of the design for the theme is that it's a question of whether or not it should have been done in the first place. Like, should we have remade films in the first place? I mean, we, we sort of talked about that in a general sense the last time we did this. Yes. And I, I feel like this time around, it kind of just underscores all of that conversation that we had of, like, should a movie have been remade? at a later period of time.
1: Oh, and this one comes out of the gate with a resounding, nope. (laughs) Nope, 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 nope. Well, we're going to attempt to be
0: fair about this, but sometimes the emotions come through. And I feel like that's going to happen this episode. Danielle is tackling the original, I'm tackling the remake. So I got to tell you, like putting these two up next to each other is going to be real interesting because they are very different. Yes. Very different. And also, like, sometimes that is the case. Sometimes you have, like, in the Footloose episode, it felt like there was almost like scene-for-scene remakes happening. So it felt like, you know, there was the exact same dialogue happening at certain points in the remake that was taken from the original film. Right. I don't think that this happens once.
1: Oh. (laughs) With these two films. There's barely an iota of the original in the remake, it is a remake in the loosest possible terms <laughs> that you can apply. And it is something I'm absolutely wanting to talk about. yes, in so many ways. but i'm gonna I'm gonna start out with our first one. yes, let's just let's get to the original and then we can have all our thoughts coming through. <laughs> Let me tell you the pages of notes I have if you if you want to reference where my emotional tone is right now, Think of our Lost Boys episode. Yes. Go back and listen to the Lost Boys episode. Lost Boys and Watermelon Woman. Yes. That is where my emotional tone is right now.
0: We are driving Grandpa's truck through his own house. That's <laughs> what's going on today.
1: One of these movies certainly is. One of these movies is driving a truck through Grandpa's house. Our first <laughs> film was released in 1991. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow and written by Rick King and W. Peter Iliff. And the film is Point Break. Rock and roll. 27 banks in three years. Everybody break! Anything to catch the perfect wave. I'm not a crook! All right, listen. I'm going to give you the synopsis because we have a lot to discuss. So I'm going to start up with the synopsis so I don't forget. Yeah. Also, I've had coffee and it's 8 o'clock at night and that's not good for anybody. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about this. Yes. So, my one sentence synopsis of point break a former college football star turned FBI agent who exclusively aims for the face during target practice loses his goddamn mind when he's tasked with apprehending a group of bank robbing surfers. Loses his goddamn mind. <laughs> Well, I'm also glad
0: that we had just wrapped that Keanu episode recently. Yes. So Keanu's a little bit fresh on the
1: brain. A little fresh on the brain. And I gotta say that um, acting not great in this. <laughs> <laughs> acting a little wooden in this. Little wooden. Um, I will say that a lot of the just because you can doesn't mean you should for me is having dialogue in this movie at all. <laughs> Why have anyone talk? If they, no dialogue, just ran on the beach and had their crop top football game, it would be the same film. You would know everything that's happening.
0: Did you see this movie when it came out? Were you, what's your history with this? Of
1: course I did. I was a freshman in high school. It was a big summer because this came out right before T2. Oh yeah. I saw this in theaters Mm. and I did not have what you would call a refined palate as a teenager, but I left this movie and I said, Never again. This will not be on repeat in my house. I will not be renting this video. Never again. I don't need, I've seen it. I did it. I'm done. You just thought it was stupid? Like, what was your opinion? I know you didn't have a refined palate, but I'm curious to know,
0: the critic, the 91 Daniel Henderson critic.
1: 1991 Daniel Henderson said this, ew, gross. Everyone's wet all the time. I don't like the way they talk. They sound stupid. That's 1991, Danielle, in a fucking nutshell. Ill, gross. Wow. They're wet all the time. (laughs) And they sound stupid.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. Fascinating.
1: I thought this was a dumb movie. I thought like this was a very B-movie kind of... I I was shocked that it did even mildly well in the box office. And shocked that it was even remade. But I did not see this movie and think, you know what? Cult classic. You know what? great acting. You know what? Good story. Mm. All of it is insane. I read uh, an article on E! E! with the exclamation point. Yes. (laughs) Called, These 23 Secrets About Point Break Are a Total State of Mind, written by Natalie Finn. (laughs) And at one point, you know, the article kind of listing things off. And it's like, oh, how did this movie come to be? Because somebody was sitting on the beach and they were just starting to learn how to surf and they thought, surfing bank robbers. That's how this movie came to be. Someone on a beach just being like, yeah, I like to surf now, surfing bank robbers. And then someone gave them millions of dollars.
0: (laughs) Don't you love Hollywood? Sometimes it's just that easy for people.
1: Oh my goodness. I love Hollywood, but I also, I can't with Hollywood sometimes. (laughs) And it's also kind of strange because there are so many things that I do love about this movie. Yeah. Like there are lots of classic lines. There are lots of unintentionally funny parts of this movie. And I have to say, also, 91 Danielle was all about Mr. Reeves. Mm. 2021 Danielle? Patrick Swayze was pretty incredible in this movie.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Come on. You're talking to a fucking top five dirty dancing fan.
1: Oh, completely. I loved him when I first saw it and still to this day. Patrick Swayze, rest in peace, King. Yes. This is not the first movie he did with Keanu Reeves. They were both in a movie, a hockey movie called Youngblood. I didn't realize that this was like that, this was a reunion for them. Yes. I didn't realize that. But I have to say, like, there's something that I would love to put this movie on in the background and just laugh. But the fact that it's not supposed to be funny is what bothers me and what has always bothered me about it because it's an absurd film.
0: Look, I was going to save this for my section, but I, I feel like I'm compelled to say it now. I saw this much later in life. I never saw this when it came out. I saw this really, yeah, oh yeah, like not too long ago, for the first <gasps> time, like within the last five years, ten years, uh, five years, yeah. <gasps>
1: Good. Oh, yeah. What was that experience like?
0: Well, to me, it was sort of like I got, I understood that why it was a cult classic in a way, because it was like, it was exactly what you said. I mean, this movie is taking itself seriously, but it's fucking ridiculous. And mm. that's what a cult movie is all about, really, in a lot of ways. Right. It's just sort of like somebody who made an earnest attempt at something and then it just got fucked up somewhere along the line. And now we all, love it because it is earnest and crazy and weird yes but yeah i could say though that if i had seen it when i was a young person i would have had a completely different experience with it so
1: i know what you mean everyone i went to school with did Yeah, <laughs> not me i was a little angry lady in the back <laughs> um, but i do think for me this film falls very much in lost boys territory which is it's very very fun but it is not good
0: yes I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that.
1: Fun but not good, which is wild. But there's a little bit of a history to this film that props up um, a very important part of film history. So the movie was directed by Catherine Bigelow, who became the first woman to win an Oscar for Best Director with her film The Hurt Locker. Mm -hmm. And that movie won huge in that year. That was 2009, I believe. And that movie won big. And she's directed these films that have have an importance, not just because of, the, of who she is, that she's a woman directing them, but because of the subject matter and because of her approach and her style. So at the time that she won her Oscar, only three other women had even been nominated. Lena Wertmuller in 1975 for Seven Beauties, yep. Jane Campion in 1993 for The Piano, and Sofia Coppola in 2003 for Lost in Translation. Uh, so when she won in 2009, like less than, you know, a little yep. bit more than, <laughs> a decade ago she was the first the first um so this movie and her ability to make movies like this that you know kind of explore a more active life a more active kind of subject matter maybe led her to having the confidence to be able to do the hurt locker as well she was married to james cameron when this came out and he was an executive producer on this movie and then they broke up when he did turn Termini- <laughs> It's <laughs> Terminator Two, yep. and I don't want to talk about that because that's not my business. That's their personal business. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Catherine Bigelow has like you know cemented her place in history. And before she did that, she made this movie. So in this movie, four thieves are wearing rubber presidents masks. So they're Nixon, Carter, LBJ, and Reagan, and they only rob banks from June to October. One thing I love about <laughs> that E! article that I read by Natalie by Natalie Finn is she said, she pointed out the willingness for some of the actors to do their own stunts. Yep. And she said at one point, Swayze merrily jumped out of an airplane dozens of times to get ready for Bodhi's 100% pure adrenaline skydiving scene, despite, pleas to get him to stop for insurance purposes. <laughs> Which I love. I love that about Patrick Swayze. I just love it.
0: Yeah. And he became like a active plane jumper after the movie. Yeah. Right? Like he really he really committed to the role, but then he just kinda like got into it. So He just
1: loved it. He loved it. He described it as ballet in the sky because he's, you he got a dance background and he described it as ballet in the sky, which I thought was beautiful. That's right. Wow. So much like in our Gleaming the Cube episode, I was left to wonder what what is point break? What is a point break? So a point break, according to surfers and this article I read by Natalie Finn, is the spot <laughs> where the surf crashes on the land and it just creates a long wave. That is not how they describe it in the remake, and I will talk about that. I will talk about that. Okay. But the only other important background for this film is that Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers is in it, with the most insane haircut I've ever seen. Absolutely. And he apparently never came to fight practice until he showed up for his first day on set and got punched in the face. And then he came to practice. (laughs) He was like, I don't want to do that. I don't like getting punched in the face. Whoops. (laughs) <laughs> which I just think is amazing. So our characters, right? Again, huge, incredible cast. You got Patrick Swayze playing Bodie, Keanu Reeves playing Johnny Utah. Gary Busey is Pappas. Keanu Reeves is a uh, mm-hmm. partner. Lori Petty plays Tyler, who's kind of the love interest for Johnny Utah. And John C. McGinley, who he plays Ben Harp, who's like the kind of director of the this unit of the FBI. If you were to name an actor in the 80s most likely to have an aneurysm, I would have picked him. Yes.
0: He was a dick cop and set it off too. I mean, come on. Yeah. This is a a recurring theme for him is to play these types of asshole authority figures, right?
1: Oh, and most of his roles, he takes it to 10 or 11. Like, those veins are (laughs) popping. Veins are popping. Totally. So the setup is that Johnny Utah used to be this football guy, college football player, hurt his knee, started studying law, and started working for the FBI. And now he's been transferred to LA to work for the bank robbery division, which is incredibly strict. Like, according, <laughs> according to Ben Harp, he's like, I don't like what my guys do anything. We don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't eat donuts, like, we don't do anything. <laughs> and Counter is like, yeah, okay, sure. And he like, takes a donut right in front of him. But the other thing that's wild is he's paired up with Pappas, Gary Busey, God love him, who is just kind of, just real kind of rough and tumble and and very goofy. Mm -hmm. So we've got Johnny Utah kind of showing up on the scene and his first order of business working with Pappas is to try to figure out these bank robbers. There's been this series of bank robberies happening Mm -hmm. in a limited time frame uh, from June to October and Pappas has an just a wild theory that the people committing the robberies are surfers. And Johnny Utah is like, all right, I'll learn how to surf then. And I'll help solve this case. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right. But here's the first part of like, okay, this is a fucked up situation. He gets a surfboard, doesn't know what he's doing, goes out, immediately wipes it, gets saved by Tyler. And in order to get close to Tyler and get in with these surfers, He lies about his parents dying in a car crash after he finds out that her parents died in a plane accident. So he's like, hmm, I got to find a way to get in with this group of surfers. Oh, I know. Both of her parents are dead. Let me just casually lie about that. (laughs) Not very sensitive, Johnny Utah. Not sensitive at all. It was just such a fuck you moment. I'm like, oh, wait, wait. I didn't remember this. (laughs) Because again, I've only seen this movie like once, maybe twice. Yeah, we got to remember this. So I thought that was a big fuck you move, but because Tyler <laughs> used to date <laughs> used to date Bodie, um, he does. He gets in with this group uh, who just so happened to be the bank robbers, as he discovers later in the film. But before he discovers it, he has a fucking great time with them. So Bodie is like this guy who's like searching for the ultimate wave. He's like his whole life is about chasing adrenaline. Mm. Again, he's a big fan of crop top football on the beach. (laughs) Love it. He believes in the legend of the 50-year storm, which is like every 50 years, the earth throws up these big waves and, oh God, it's exhausting to listen to. And then he also lights a car on fire at a gas station during a robbery by using the pump as a flamethrower, which is just such a fucking cool scene.
0: (laughs) (laughs) the character of Bodhi, obviously, between these two films is so different. There is something, though, and I don't know if it's because, like, I lived in L.A. for a short period of time, and I just kind of, I grew this weird appreciation for this type of guy that Bodhi is in California, right? Which is this kind of, like, mm. spiritual hippie's he got a lot of surfer wisdom and all this stuff like that. I mean, granted, he's a criminal, and he and he's performing criminal acts, right? But beyond that part, like, just the blonde, mullety crop top fucking dude with this dumb apartment with like the Hawaiian shit tacked up on the walls. And he's just kind of like, a, I don't eat donuts, man. I'm just like riding a wave and it's life. I'm kind of like, that's fine. <laughs> like, I'm kind of like weirdly, you know, happy for him in a way. I'm like, cool. You figured out a way to be. Happy and, and you've given your life a purpose. Good for you.
1: Exactly. Go for it. Knock yourself out.
0: But then he's also like using gas pumps as flamethrowers, and then that just gets—that's a—that's a whole different story.
1: He's multifaceted. He will use the bad <laughs> to get the good in his life. The bad being bank robberies and (laughs) flamethrowers. Yeah. The good being money to chill out and surf all over the world for the rest of the year. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And he is, he's a very gentle dude in a lot of ways. Like when uh, Keanu Reeves, when Johnny Utah is forced to, um, he kind of gets in this, in a tussle with some of the other surfers, one of whom is Mm -hmm. named War Child. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bodhi says, like after the fight, he's like, "Yeah, those guys—they only live to get radical." And I'm like, "Huh? <laughs> They're like surf Nazis. Surf <laughs> Nazis must die. Absolutely, inc- like just wild." And when he's describing uh, Tyler, he says, "She was my woman. We shared time." <laughs> Which, coming out of his face and mouth, doesn't sound territorial. It just sounds like that. 70s kind of hookah smoking. Yeah. Like, hey, this is my woman. This is my lady. We shared some time. Yeah. He's like the dude. Yes. 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 And he, you know, overall, this movie is just like, it's just so stupid that it is fun. There's a lot of macho shit going on and some masculinity themes. And, but it's just kind of fun. Like, it's supposed to be an examination of like a man confronting the villain that lives within him or like, I, I don't know. I actually don't know what it's supposed to be about. I, I tried to make something up to give it some, some depth. It's about Keanu Reeves laying on his back in the rain and shooting a gun into the air. That is what this movie is about. <laughs> but there are some beautiful surf scenes. Beautiful surf scenes. Yes. But that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all I got for Point Break, the OG. <laughs> like, it is a dumb movie. First of all, I have to say, Catherine
0: Bigelow, when seeing this movie again, now that I've been acquainted with some of like her earlier films, like even pre-Point Break, mm. I was like, okay, she definitely knows how to shoot hot guys. She knows what she's doing. Like, okay, you couldn't have picked like a hotter guy in 91 than Keanu Reeves, arguably. Mm-hmm. You probably couldn't have picked a second, slightly older hot guy than Patrick Swayze in 91, right? Right. And... You know, a lot of this movie features people with perfect surfing bodies and whatnot. And Lori Petty looks fucking great in it too. And I'm like, okay, Catherine Bigelow made like a good looking movie. Definitely looks great from like, you know, a lighting and a landscape perspective, like when they're surfing at night and, you know, when she's trying to teach him how to surf like super early in the morning, I'm like, oh, that's so great. Great lighting. It's very evocative. It makes me miss California. Gotta be honest. But then there's just, like, the crime stuff and the, like, the cop stuff, which is sort of, like, enjoyable, but it's very dumb. It's exactly what you said. It's just, like, that Lost Boys sort of, like, well, we got a lot of great, beautiful images, but then also, like, there's just, like, this dumb story. (laughs) But it's fun. It's fun. I appreciate that Gary Busey wants to eat, like, three meatball sandwiches for lunch at 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> like that speaks to my own heart, obviously.
1: <laughs> oh God, I love beauty in this movie, but it is it's it's a weird, wild concept. It is a simple concept, but this is this is also the beauty of the film. I think what makes it fun is it is a very simple concept. Like they're not actually you you can pull all that like masculinity shit out of it if you want to. I think this is just a movie that is a very, on the surface, what it is. Like, it is two guys who are in conflict because of what their jobs are.
0: Yes, I agree. And then there's the remake. Mm. So, I have a feeling we're going to sit with the remake for a while. Oh, we have to. Because I think we both have a lot to say. We have to. So, my film for the theme, Just Because You Can Doesn't Mean You Should, is... A movie from 2015 is directed by Erickson Core, and it's called Point Break.
1: I believe that, like me, the people behind these robberies are extreme athletes. Using their skills to disrupt the international financial markets. And they don't care who gets killed in the process.
0: I'm going to try my best to be positive. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to try my best.
1: Okay. Not sure if it's going to happen, but I will try. I appreciate that. Yeah. I make no promises. I make no promises. I've got three pages of notes and I don't know what's going to come out.
0: Yes, exactly. There's also a lot of questions that are basically unanswered. So you're just going to have to go with us on that journey. Just go with us on that journey.
1: Yeah, they are unanswered and unanswerable.
0: Yes. All right. I feel like I don't need to give a one-sentence synopsis, but I'm going to because why the fuck's not? A one-sentence synopsis of Point Break from 2015. Check out these rich guys and their tattoos. (laughs) That's what it's about. (laughs) So here's what I will say about this, right? Because we just talked about this. Part of what I loved about the original Point Break is that it is ostensibly about this, like, spiritual hippie guy who is, like, the leader of these surf punks, right? Mm -hmm. In L.A. And it's very amusing to me because I used to live in L.A., And I sort of have formed an appreciation for the specific type of L.A., Venice Beach, Malibu type of dude, okay? Then you have the like high-low cop story, which is like you got the young, hot newbie cop, and then you have the veteran slob, which is classically entertaining. That's a classically entertaining trope. Then you have the surfing and the skydiving. Very fun, action movie type stuff. Very easy to watch. So here's the problem with this remake for me. Okay, so they took all of the fun stuff from the first one, and then they attempted to make this, like, movie that's 10,000 times more serious and dark, Mm -hmm. which is something that I I just didn't need to happen personally. I just didn't really think that needed to happen. No. Then, on top of that, they center the entire movie around eco-terrorism and extreme sports.
1: Bold moves, both of those. Bold moves.
0: Right. So it's like, take the skydiving and surfing and just ramp it the fuck up, right? And then instead of, like, these guys sort of being funded by the robberies, in the remake, they're funded by global billionaires or something, which is, again, don't know why that happened. There was a moment where I thought, is that just an excuse to, like, maybe put more, like, yacht parties in a movie or something? It's like... The whole thing was very firefest to me. I have to admit.
1: <laughs> firefest the movie. Yes, <laughs> The actual if
0: the Firefest had happened, it would have been these scenes from the Point Break remake, okay? Because that was the one thing about the um the first movie was it felt like Patrick Swayze and his buddies are like essentially the red hot chili peppers like yeah. anthony Kiedis is in the movie but they're just like la kind of like surfer punks with crazy hair and the only way that they get to like go to australia to catch this big wave is if they rob banks. this was like this whole other like global billionaire conspiracy angle which i thought was weird i was like i don't know what i think about this
1: Oh, there are two scenes that have just shaken me to my core because I never saw this remake until we decided to watch it. One is they're riding a dirt bike through a diamond mine, (laughs) which just right off the top, just at the top of the movie, it's dirt bike through a diamond mine. And while they're doing it, it's like they have to show the presidential slogans because none of these things they put over their helmets look like the actual presidents. Yes, And they're actually borderline racist on the Obama one, I gotta say. Gotta say, a little weird. And then the next thing you know, they're skydiving through dollar bills. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Like, this movie is like, this is not a movie about surfing anymore. This is like an all-purpose daredevil movie. Yes. Yes. And Delroy Lindo and Ray Winstone are in it. And I really feel like they both just needed to re-up their SAG cards. And that's (laughs) fine. And I respect them. And I appreciate it. But they deserve better.
0: Listen. I have to be honest, I had never heard of most of the actors in this movie before watching it, except for Delroy Lindo and Ray Winstone. (laughs) Those are the only two people I know. (laughs) AKA the old
1: people, the old people in the movie. (laughs) The old people with two minute scenes. I'd heard of Edgar Ramirez because of um, the Johnny Versace show.
0: Yes, exactly. Which I only found out after watching the movie and doing research. And I was, I loved uh, American Crime Story, the Gianni Versace one. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And so when I read that, I was like, okay, well, at least I can place him into some kind of framework. Yes. Um, but everybody else, I am sadly don't know. Don't know who they are.
1: I could not pick them out of a lineup even now after having seen the film. Yes. There's a, a credit scene at the end of this movie that is 15 minutes long, which we will get to. Yes. So in that credit scene, they have all these producers but the real producers of this movie were Cocaine and Hubris, LLC.
0: (laughs) It was like, can we hire our favorite extreme athletes from around the world to be in this movie? Yes. And do no CGI and just make them do death-defying stunts and we can just (laughs) film them and watch and think it's cool?
1: Cocaine and Hubris, LLC.
0: (laughs) Okay, so there's so many things... Oh, there's so many
1: things. So many.
0: So here's really the basis of it, okay? In the remake, you've got the character of Johnny Utah, okay? Very different. Very different from Mm. the Keanu character. He's blonde, first of all. (laughs) Second, he has a bunch of questionable bro tattoos, including knuckle tattoos that are facing the wrong direction.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: And... Unlike the Keanu Johnny Utah, this Johnny Utah is into extreme sports, okay? And at one point at the beginning of the movie, he calls himself a poly extreme athlete. Is that what he said he was? I believe so. Or he's just poly? I don't know. But he's he's basically like a guy that participates in extreme sports of different disciplines. So he's into dirt biking. He's into base jumping. He's into... He's definitely in a dirt biking. We know this because at the beginning of the film, he's with his friend, Jeff. They both are dirt biking, they both try some extreme stunt. Johnny Utah lives, and Jeff sadly
1: passes away from this extreme stunt. Rocks his world. Yes. This man died so hard that Johnny Utah had to join the FBI. Yes,
0: because that's the thing is that Johnny Utah's grief is suddenly curtailed seven years later into a career at the FBI because he's at the (laughs) FBI Academy and he's in basic training, okay? And he's being briefed about these diamond heists that are happening around the world. This is a global, again, a global, this isn't just like fucking LA County bullshit. This is like a global thing right? It's a group of guys who are wearing, like, all black. They are stealing diamonds from a diamond factory and then, like, jumping through windows of high-rise buildings to escape. Like, parachuting off of buildings.
1: But Johnny is, but I, I can't even say Johnny. Utah is the one who connects the dots that these crimes are all related.
0: Yes, because basically, Johnny Utah is like, listen, guys, I also dabble in a bit of base jumping Okay, so I know what these guys are up to. Okay, they can only be attempting to complete the Ozaki 8.
1: Okay, we need to talk about the Ozaki 8.
0: Okay, whatever this Ozaki 8 gets mentioned in the film, it gets mentioned several times because it's like the foundation of any of it, any of this movie happening. It kept reminding me of... The Ocho <laughs> from, the, from the Will Ferrell comedy Dodgeball. <laughs> like, I just kept saying, just call it the Ocho.
1: I, in my notes, I wrote what I called it, because um, right next to Ozaki 8, I wrote, okay, fuck off. And that's what I called it every time they mentioned it in the movie. <laughs> okay. Okay, fuck off.
0: So, the Ocho, or the Ozaki 8s okay, is a, is allegedly this thing, this, like, it was conceived by a Japanese man named Ozaki who decided that in order to achieve this kind of, like, spiritual enlightenment, you have to complete these eight extreme sports tasks. And, and it's everything from, like, go down this mountain uh, on your snowboard and almost die, ride this 50-foot wave. You know, it's, like, all these, like, challenges. And Here's the fucked up thing. Ozaki himself apparently died when he tried to complete his own shit. But he died at like the third one. Yes. So <laughs> I'm like, well, he did well. He created this fucking thing and then he didn't even do it himself.
1: Well, also, how are you going to call it the Ozaki 8 when he didn't do, Ozaki didn't do it? Yes.
0: So how do they know it wasn't an Ozaki 24 or an Ozaki 72? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Right now it's the Ozaki three.
0: Yes, it's only the three. The Ocho, who knows where that came from? Maybe there was like a sacred text or something that these fucking knuckleheads found. Because let me just tell, I got to talk about these fucking guys. I, I have to talk about Bodhi, the Bodhi character and his like goons, his like buddies. <laughs> like, you know, the guys that are helping him out with these diamond heists. Okay. And I'm going to admit something. This is totally my own shit. This is my own opinion. This is my own problem with these guys. Okay. The type of guy that these guys are, they're like these fucking dudes in their like arterics jackets and they're like free soloing in the name of environmental awareness. Cause remember it's about eco-terrorism. So these, these people like eco-warriors This shit is my worst fucking nightmare. These types of guys, they like laid the groundwork for like the modern, outdoorsy male influencer. I fucking hate it. I'm like, come on.
1: Thank you. There is a point where I was like, okay, how are you wearing an Arcteric's jacket and making a fire with a rock and a bird's nest? (laughs) Like, pick a lane. This is some Kendall Roy shit. Like, pick a fucking lane. You're wearing, like, a $300 windbreaker, and you're like, no, we're gonna get back to the earth and, like, make a fire. Like, pull out your fucking Zippo. Pull out your goddamn whatever. Like, and make, just fucking light something on fire.
0: Yes. And, like, the new Bodhi, again, played by Edgar Ramirez. I love him. Definitely not the Swayze with the bleach blonde hair. He's not disseminating that kind of, like, L.A. surfer advice, okay? This new Bodie, new Jack Bodie is... First of all, a brunette. And he is like the essence of that guy who you are seeing on Instagram who is doing a yoga pose at the end of a fucking cliff in South America. Just that guy. Like, re- all the all, him and all of his bros, really bad tattoos, very expensive gear to do their little ocho. And the way that they talk, the way that Bodhi talks... It's not even amusing. Like I said, in that like spiritual Malibu surfer guy way, it's like this really flat, bland, it's like Gatorade commercial wisdom. That's all it is. It's basically like, it's like fucking LeBron James saying, every person is an athlete. It takes commitment, drive, performance, drink Gatorade. That's the (laughs) fucking Bodie character. And it drives me insane. It drives me insane.
1: It totally is. He's he's like, he's speaking in riddles. And I'm like, nobody's got time for this, bitch. We're trying to leap off a fucking mountain here. Like, give it to me straight. <laughs> I'm wearing a squirrel suit. You just dropped a stone and said I had six seconds to live from the time I leap here to the time I hit the ground. Like, I don't have time for this fucking riddle Buddha shit.
0: Yes, it's maddening. And here, so here's the thing, just like the first film. So Bodhi and his crew They're trying to compete the Ocho, the Ozaki 8, whatever. And they're funded by, like, again, like, some venture capitalist fuck, some, like, pharma bro that has a a yacht in the Mediterranean, okay? And then, of course, the FBI is trying to figure them out. So, of course, Johnny Utah being the polyathlete that he is or whatever. They send him to France to
1: infiltrate the crew, which is my fucking favorite, because they're like, welcome to France. Here's a burning car in an alley. <laughs> like, fuck the Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe. Here's a fucking burning car in an alley. Welcome to goddamn Paris. And then
0: here's the thing. They they bring in a field agent named Papas, just like in the first film, except instead of the Hawaiian shirt-clad, goofball fucking meatball sandwich Gary Busey guy... It's instead Ray Winstone, which, by the way, if you do not know the great British character actor,
1: Ray Winstone, he is not the Gary Busey character. He is the complete opposite of it. He is like, if if a, if a person could be made of nails.
0: <laughs> and he's like, he's not like really a partner. He's kind of like, he's kind of like Michael Caine in The Dark Knight Rises. He's just like the. I'm not going to bury another Batman guy. Like, he's just that guy. Oh,
1: God, I love this. So <laughs> Speaking of the trip episode that we just did. I, I was thinking about the trip when I was watching this movie because there's this part where they're like, they, after they climb this mountain, and they're like, all right, we'll do it in the morning. And I'm like, hey, at daybreak, we leap to our death like little yes! flying squirrels. <laughs> at daybreak, we put on our, our terrorist jackets yeah. and pretend <laughs> that we need to do this. There needs to be a whole new season of The Trip
0: where Rob Bryden and Steve Coogan just make fun of the Point Break
1: remake. I would be in.
0: Like they just do impressions from this film. So it's the kind of thing where like Johnny Utah, you know, infiltrates the group. He obviously has chops because he knows how to fucking do half the shit these bros are doing, these Bodie and his bros. And you know it becomes the whole like, "Oh shit, I forgot I'm a cop. I'm having too much fun <laughs> base
1: jumping off the pyramids or whatever the fuck they're doing. I'm having so much fun in France where Bodie punched me so hard, my pants fell down.
0: <laughs> they,
1: is that the scene where they have a fight club? like they're in yeah. addition
0: to being these extreme sports guys, they also have a fight club. I'm like, what? Yeah,
1: they are mess this, these people are a shamble. <laughs> To quote our lovely (laughs) producer, these people are shambles.
0: They are in fucking shambles. And and here's the thing. They hired like actual athletes to do all of the extreme sports that you will be seeing in this film if you haven't seen it already. There's this one scene, I I think it's sort of the scene that gets talked about the most where they're in these windsuits. Oh my God. And they're like flying through the canyons in these fucking suits. And... I'm like, I will never do this. I'm not Richard Branson. I will never fucking do any of this shit. But I'm also like, what is the point of this? Like, I'm like going, oh, so like you're flying through a canyon. That seems very cool. But then there's also a moment where you like are flying two inches off the ground. Mm -hmm. And you don't fall. Somehow you don't fall. And then you somehow get back up to an altitude where you actually have to use your parachute. Yeah. To come back down Earth, I'm like,
1: what? This doesn't even make any sense. Like, you're like testing airflow and like fucking, fucking licking your finger and holding it up to the in midair, trying to figure out what direction to go. But this scene, which I think you're right, is probably one of the more talked about scenes in the film. Yeah, this scene it brings me to a larger point about this movie. Yes. One is that there, these chumps are up there like squirreling through the air, and Samsara, the female character, the kind of love interest character, oh has been diminished so much that by the time they're done squirreling through the air, she's just kind of like delicately baby bouldering at a at the cabin, and then just like, yay, you guys are back. So that <laughs> is unreal to me that they whittled this this Laurie Petty type love interest character down to bare fucking bones. Yes. First and foremost. But her name and that scene lead me to my larger point, which is that this movie takes whiteness to a new level. <laughs> the whiteness in this movie is unfucking stoppable <laughs> We got this white woman going around calling herself Samsara. Johnny Utah at one point has a whole conversation about how his mom was Indian and that's yes! why they call him Utah. This Australian blonde giant man has the fucking nerve to sit in a movie and say that line. Yes. That, to me, was fucking unbelievable. Right? I was just like, okay. Unreal. It's much
0: funnier when there's a jock from the Midwest who plays football and his dumb parents just name him Johnny Utah because they're like, that sounds cool. Right. <laughs> I'm okay with that being the origin of the name. I don't need it to be the, like spiritual Native American white guy thing. Like, come on. Like, it's a little much. It's a little much,
1: you know? I dialed the ACLU. And then when they picked (laughs) up, I said, hello, my name's Danielle Henderson. I just watched the Point Break remake. There's a scene where this man says his mom was Indian and that's why they call him Utah. What can I do about this? And they said, you need to hang up the phone. (laughs) And I wish that was real. I wanted to call someone and be like, have y'all seen this? Yes. Have y'all seen this? Yes. This movie takes white, whiteness is unstoppable, which again brings me to my other point, which is that I think extreme sports in general is the ultimate in white male privilege. Yes. It's like, like, oh, real life isn't scary enough for you that you have to throw yourself off a fucking mountain. My whole thing about this movie is that It's like, why do, why go in this
0: direction? Like, the movie, the original movie Point Break was just fine. Like, it was a bunch of California guys that, like, surfed and then, like, sort of jumped out of airplanes. But to center the entire movie around this, like, daredevil stunt, like, free solo, base jumping you know, extreme snowboarding. Is that what that is?
1: Extreme snowboarding. Everything's extreme. They're like, let's extreme drink coffee. Let's extreme take a shit. Let's extreme. (laughs) Like I can only take a shit if my ass is hanging off the side of a fucking canopy that's stretched between two fucking trees that are those huge trees in California. Like that's the only way I can take a shit. I got to fly to fucking California, string a hammock up between two sequoias and then just (laughs) hang my ass over the edge. (laughs)
0: It's like we just want to go outside and be safe and have fun, but then you got a guy in a fucking four hundred dollar Patagonia outfit being like, "I'm just using my jet boil to make something like fair trade fucking espresso." Then I'm just gonna jump over this mountain like in one fucking fail swoop, and I'm just like, "Come on,
1: don't ruin the experience for us! Don't don't ruin the experience also by making me feel like I am going to die if I'm not at your level because that is not. Yes. I, I could be out on the Appalachian Trail right now with a corn cob pipe and a dream." <laughs> and survive better than some of these dudes with their fucking gear. Yes. Like, calm it down.
0: <laughs> exactly. And uh, to your earlier point about the Samsara character, it's like, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the woman, the only woman in the movie, basically. And she is no Lori Petty. No. Forget it. She's, like, if you're expecting Lori Petty, you're not gonna get it. Because this character, okay. <laughs> 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 At one point, when she does have lines, she says with a straight face, my parents died in an avalanche when I was nine. Okay. And I just started laughing. Like, I just started cracking up laughing.
1: We are talking about this scene because I've never laughed harder in my life than I did at this scene. And I don't think they meant for that to happen. I don't think they did. First of all, if there's a round room with a fire pit in it, somebody's fucking. That's a fuck room. That's a fuck pit right there. When I was watching this scene, I decided something that I think I have to carry forth into my real life forever, which is that I can no longer stand trying to listen to conventionally attractive people trying to have a conversation. Like, I would rather shoot tinfoil. Yes. Because at one point, she says this avalanche line about her parents, and then she's trying to explain to Utah how Ozaki died. And that Bodhi was there when Ozaki died. Yeah. And apparently he didn't die doing his third stunt. He died because he steered his ship between a pot of humpback whales and a whaling ship. <laughs> and this is the actual fucking dialogue. These two hot as fuck people sitting in this fuck pit. <laughs> Utah says, ideas are powerful. And she says, not as powerful as a whaling ship. And I just wanted to like rip up my fucking writer's guild card and w- <laughs> run into the sea. I've never laughed so hard in my life. <laughs> not as powerful <laughs> as a whaling ship with a straight face. Call- white as fuck calling yourself Samsara?
0: <laughs> I mean, it's truly baffling. Like it's just baffling. And, and, and no, it's like the thing is, is that it, it basically wraps up spoiler alert, I guess I'm going to reveal the ending of the remake of Point Break. So shut it off if you don't want to hear this.
1: If you shut this podcast off right now, we are going to have to fucking talk every listener. (laughs) You listen to this shit and so you don't have to watch this movie on your own.
0: (laughs) We're here for you. So come with us on this journey, if you will. But the ending of Point Break, the remake, essentially ends like the first one, which is that Bodhi... Has to die by the ocean. And Johnny Utah has to let him. It was written in the scriptures. The earth, the earth has to swallow Bodhi for all that he has given the Earth. Oh, God. And Utah has to let him. I and mean, it's just like so dumb. But it's like it was dumb in the first one, but it's
1: extra dumb in this one. It's dumber in this one because in this one, Utah has to take a fucking helicopter out. To this man in the middle of the ocean. He has to helicopter out and be like, dude, it's time that you stop. And he's like, I can't stop. He's like, cool. whoop. It goes back up in the helicopter and <laughs> flies away. You have to helicopter into a fucking monsoon to tell this idiot not to take this fucking wave. And he's like, Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? And Utah's like, yeah, I guess so. Peace. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> with this movie again, Cocaine and Hubris LLC were the producers. It is a unstoppable whiteness machine, <laughs> and they did everyone involved so dirty.
0: <laughs> well. And look, no shade to the first point break. It's fine. It's entertaining. Like I've said, I enjoy watching it. I watched it much later in life. I instantly saw why people liked it, and I liked it too. But all I'm saying is, give me that. I want more puka shell necklaces and Baja sweaters. I need less rich guys base jumping with their fucking GoPros. I I want the Anthony Kiedis- ponytail and the body glove wetsuits i don't want the mammoth jackets and the fucking expensive gear like i want the original point
1: break yes
0: i don't need a darker richer more expensive
1: actual death defying stunt version of the original i just i i didn't need it i don't need anybody skydiving into a hole in the ground (laughs) like a body-sized hole in the ground. They're like, you know what the Ozaki 2 is? And you have to fucking skydive into a hole in the jungle. Like, I don't need it. I don't Give me a wave. A simple wave will do you.
0: Yes, and I know that this is personal taste, right? This is my personal taste. I can't stand who this movie is ostensibly about. I cannot take this type (laughs) of person. And that is my own shit. I admit that. Your mileage may vary. You may watch this remake and be like, God, these guys are fucking inspirational. And I love this fucking Gatorade commercial wisdom. We love it. I feel inspired. I want to go out there and fucking climb Mount Everest. I'm ready. But for me, not really my
1: thing. And that's all I'll say. Beautiful. The only other thing I'm going to say about this movie, which I have said a lot. I will say two more things. (laughs) I love that James LeGrow... And Bo Jesse, what's-his-face, made a cameo in this film. Yes. As FBI agents, they were in the original Point Break, and it was very nice to see them. Yes. The other thing that I cannot stand in watching this movie is that they changed the fucking meaning of Point Break (laughs) to the point where you break. Everything in this movie has been dumbed down to, like, its base parts. Like, what's Point Break? Well, it's the point where you break. About waves? No, about, like, your spirit and stuff. Like, not becoming a slave to the man. What? I feel like my point's gonna break,
0: man. I'm having a bad day. My point is breaking as we speak. Man,
1: I gotta fucking get air in my tires. I'm at point break. (laughs) Lost it. I lost it. Truly bizarre. When I saw that part, and I was, like, watching these rich fucks standing around talking about, like, it's the point where, like, your spirit breaks and you let go and... You know, you're just not a slave to the man anymore. Whatever the fuck they said, I was like, you have never done a day of work in your entire life. <laughs> you are grown up toddlers, and I don't want to see this tantrum that you're having. <laughs> I'm going to blow up a gold mine. Me. I'm going to blow up the gold mine,
0: explode a bunch of rocks. The rocks create an avalanche, and then I'm going to ride my motorbike away from the fucking rocks. <laughs> Like it was a Dante's peak scenario where I was like, this guy is escaping death. He comes out just as beautiful as he did before. He just (laughs) created an avalanche of rocks and then just rode a motor fucking bike through it. Insane.
1: Extreme! Oh, thank you. Thank you for covering this film. I feel like we should have reversed it. You should have been able to do the original. I should have done this one this time. Because last time I did the original, when we did the, the feet loose, uh, and you did the remake. So next, if we do this again, I promise to take on the extra work of struggling through the remake.
0: <laughs> Listen, I appreciate that shit. Because... I don't normally like to be this negative about stuff. I usually like movies. Yeah, me too. I can find some joy in almost every film. But then once in a blue moon, one comes along where I'm just like, wow. I don't know. I'm speechless. I don't know what to say.
1: I was excited to rewatch the original Point Break. It has been actual decades since I've seen it. It Came out 30 years ago. (laughs) I was excited to watch it. And it's just as dumb and fun as I remembered it being. Yes. And it was fine. And I (laughs) truly, at multiple points in this viewing of the remake, had to stop and walk away. Yes. At one point, I stopped and did an entire load of laundry. (laughs) From wash to dry to fold. And I love movies. I love movies. I love dumb movies. Yes. I love movies that are, are ridiculous. I love movies. This one was a chore. This was a lot to get through. Yes. So I apologize that you're the one who had to take on the, the bulk of that. But I'm I'm glad we did because now uh now Millie, now I can tell where your point break is.
0: Yes, I feel like I've got a spiritual awareness that I could only get from being clobbered by a whaling ship. I'm like completely open to the experience of life.
1: Ooh. Oh lord. What about next week? Next week's gonna be great. Oh man. It just has to be because we've already done this. <laughs>
0: All right, so the movies for next week are Magnolia from 1999 and After Hours from
1: 1985. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Oh, I'm so excited for that double feature. It's a hot set.
0: All right, if you want to email us, if you want to give us your complex thoughts about the Point Break remake, then just do it. I saw what you did pot at Gmail. We'll take it, whatever you got.
1: You can also find us on our social media at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, tell, me, tell me some stunning dialogue like ideas are powerful, not as powerful as a whaling ship. <laughs> Make a mad lib out of it. We've got all of your extremely expensive outdoor
0: gear in the I saw what you did shop at exactlyrightmedia.com.
1: Yeah, pick, pick up a squirrel suit while you can.
0: You can get your $4 million wind jammer outfit at exactlyrightmedia.com.
1: And if you want even more from us, which please God love you if you do after this episode, (laughs) because I I don't think I've been this negative in a long time. (laughs) We have a bunch of bonus episodes up at Stitcher Premium. You can use the promo code SAW for a free month. And I promise that we are usually a delight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for you know, if you're watching the movies, we love when you watch the movies and go on the ride with us. But we really appreciate it and we love our listeners. Thanks
1: for listening. Thanks guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi, our engineer is Annalise Nelson, our theme songs by Tom Bryfogel, artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at I saw pod. Email us at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.